closer, closer to the Lord and closer to one another. That's our spiritual emphasis this year. If you've been around here this fall, you've probably heard us use that phrase. You may have even seen posters around. Drawing closer to the Lord in prayer, learning what it means to really live in communion with God. And then closer to one another. What does it mean for us to not just be kind of pew sitters, but to actually be a biblical community of people who know each other, love each other, and what does it mean to step closer in both of those directions? That's what we've been thinking about this year. And so we were, have been looking at 1 Corinthians, which was a letter written to a church that really needed to get closer. It was a very broken, dysfunctional, divided church. Um, and, and we've uh, emphasized, hey, let's get involved in growth groups this year. And so we've had a number of people getting involved in these kind of small groups that meet outside of Sunday morning and they meet in people's homes and uh, I think we have over 40 groups this fall, which is really exciting. And just see people, yeah, let, let's not just talk about being a church, but let's practice being together and knowing each other and praying for each other. Uh, and we just had our men's retreat uh, this last weekend, and it was awesome. It's a great retreat this year. And the focus of the retreat was, Lord, teach us to pray. How do we talk to God? How, how do we draw close to God? So, so we've been in this kind of emphasis this fall, and it's, I think it's been really good uh, but, but I thought as, as we've been sort of chugging along, you know, in the closer train, I thought it would be helpful this Sunday to kind of stop the train at the station and uh, allow some of you to get on board, uh, to sort of put 1 Corinthians on pause one Sunday and look at a different text so, so that if, you, if you're kind of new here and you're like, what is this? And I, I really would like to know what it means to draw closer to the Lord or draw closer to others and kind of give us an all an opportunity to refocus on this theme and so rather than just doing the next text in 1 Corinthians, which we'll do next week, I thought it'd be good to look at a text that I feel like just nails this idea of what it means to draw close to God, close to one another, and how those two relate to each other and why they're so important in the Christian life. So I'd invite you to look with me at this text, Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 to 25. I'm going to read it, and as I do, and you read along silently with me, Listen for the closer theme. See if you can pick it up. It's not too hard, not too opaque, but it's just ringing throughout this passage. All right, let me read the text. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Did you hear the closer theme in there? Could, could you hear some of the wording in there? Let me just try to uh, show, start off by, maybe this would be helpful, showing you the overall structure of this passage, and then we'll kind of work our way through it. So this passage falls into two chunks. The, the first is in verses 19 to 21, uh, and, and it's, it's dominated by this word, since. Since something is true. Since there's a certain reality that now exists, 
And then the second half of the passage is, in light of that reality, let us do X, Y, and Z. So it's kind of, since, let us. Since this is true, let us do that. You know, since the Patriots are playing at three, let us get out of church on time so we can go home and start the wings. You know, since it's going to snow two inches, let us buy five gallons of milk, right? You know, just fact, response, fact, response. Except the fact here that that the writer of Hebrews wants to hold in front of us is not something like a game or a snowstorm. It is, it's the greatest fact that has ever come to pass in the history of humanity. It is the fact that Jesus Christ, through his death and resurrection, has opened the way to God for us. It's the greatest reality, the most powerful life-changing reality it is, there is. And we talk about access ministry. This is the ultimate access to God himself. Again, look at verses 19 to 21. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter, we have access, the most holy place, by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, since we have access, since we have a high priest, since all that is ours. Uh, And so here the writer of Hebrews is trying to emphasize this access we have to God. And it's interesting, the way he does it is he uses imagery from the Old Testament and he uses imagery from the temple of the Old Testament. And, and if you're kind of familiar with Old Testament and the, the temple, probably this language of the, the most holy place and the curtain and the priest is all jumping out at you. But, but if you're not, if you're kind of like, I don't know what you're talking about, let, let me just explain it really quick. Um, in the Old Testament, they had the temple. And that's where God dwelt, at least you know, his, his presence was symbolized by that temple. He was there with the Israelites. And, and he dwelt in a special room in the temple called the Most Holy Place, or sometimes it's called the Holy of Holies. And uh, it, it was a cubicle room covered in gold. That's where the Ark of the Covenant was. Well, uh, you know, Indiana Jones fans, you should be familiar with the Ark of the Covenant. All right, so you're with me. All right, and that's where the Ark of the Covenant was, and that's where God's in a sense, throne was over Israel. He ruled over Israel as its king with the, the Ark of the Covenant kind of being his footstool. And so that was one room. And then there were some curtains. That's the curtain language. And then there was kind of a rectangular room called the Holy Place. And that's where they put some incense and some candles and, you know, the, the, the Jewish uh, candle candelabra was there, the menorah. And then outside of that was, was the courtyards outside of the building, and there was the place where the priest offered sacrifices, and then there were other courtyards where worshipers could come. But, but the thing is, there were all of these kind of doors and blocks between the regular person and where God was in the most holy place. So you could only really come to worship if you were an Israelite and if you were ceremonially clean. But you could only really go in to offer sacrifices if you were a priest. But only certain priests at certain times would go into the holy place to do service. But when it came to the most holy place where God himself reigned on his throne over Israel, there was only one guy who could go in there. Who was that? The high priest, which is mentioned here in this passage. And how many times a year could the high priest go in? One day, one dude, one day. That's it. Otherwise, no one else went in there. And he went in there on Yom Kippur, on on the Day of Atonement. 
And he would come in with the blood of goats and and calves. And he would go into the holy place and he'd go through the curtain. And he'd come before the Ark of the Covenant and he'd sprinkle the blood of the sacrifice before the covenant. You know, seeking forgiveness and mercy for his sins and the sins of all Israel. And so you have this picture of a holy God dwelling among an unholy, sinful people. And you you just can't get to God. You, You know, this getting to God... In, in those days, and, and getting to God as sinful people, it'd be like trying to get to the, see the president in the White House. You know, you walk up to the White House, and you, like, bang on the gate, and, you know, some Secret Service guy walks up and is like, what do you want? You know, I'm here to see the president. Like, no, you're, you're moving on is what you're doing. Like, no, 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 I want to see him. Like, do you have a pass? Do you have an appointment? Nope. But, you know, I, I want to talk to the guy. I've got some, some ideas to share. And, uh, and you know, and I, my tax dollars pay for the White House, so I think I should be allowed in. And he's like, what are you talking about? You know, they do a background search on you, and it's like, oh, goodness, look at this. <laughs> uh, you know, you, you can't get in to see the president. You, you can't do it. You know, you don't have access. And here we're talking about someone even greater than anyone who's ever occupied the White House or any human king. We're talking about God Almighty. And, and you can't get there from here. You can't go to God. We're a sinful people. Only even the high priest could go in once a year with blood, and then he got out of there because you can't dwell in the presence of a holy God. So in light of that, verses 19 to 21 are like a bombshell that there is now a way into the most holy place. We have confidence. We? Me? Yeah, we have confidence to enter the most holy place where no one had confidence to enter. Why? Because of two things. One, the blood of Jesus. Jesus is that sacrificial blood that was shed on the altar. He's, he's the curtain through, through which we have access. And he's the great high priest. So Jesus is both the, the offering that was sacrificed and the guy who brings the offering. He died to shed his blood to, to atone for our sins. And then he rose again so he could be the high priest who would walk into the holy place. Except when Jesus rose again, he didn't go into the holy place in Jerusalem in that building, which is really just a replica. He went into the real holy place where God dwelt, which is heaven. And he ascended to heaven as our high priest. And, and so he, he died as our sacrifice. He rose to be our high priest. And now through Jesus, there is this total open access for us to draw close to God. Nothing is between us and God. Jesus Christ has made the way. Without Christ, there is no access to God because we don't have the credentials. There's nothing you and I could do to qualify ourselves to draw close to God. Instead, God has come and made a way to access God. God has sent His own Son, Jesus Christ. And so that's why we sing about His blood and His resurrection. And we just camp on that theme because it is the most important thing that's ever happened in human history. That God came into our world and made a way for us to draw close to God. That there's a way open. We have access. It's incredible. In fact, the whole, really, book of Hebrews, from chapter 5 of Hebrews all the way to chapter 10, the main chunk of Hebrews, the primary message of Hebrews, is is from chapter 5, chapter 10, just going into detail about the sacrifice of Jesus and the high priesthood of Jesus. It takes those two themes and just like fleshes them out. So if you, in fact, if, if you're kind of, you know, would love to really get your head around 
what it means that Jesus died for us. If you really want to get your head around the gospel, what is that all about? I'd encourage you to read Hebrews chapter 5 to 10. Maybe this week, like every day, just read one chapter and think about it. But, but what those chapters do is they get down into the weeds of the Old Testament and they show us that Jesus is the once-for-all sacrifice, so we don't need another sacrifice. And he's the high priest that replaces all the other high priests. He is the way to God. He is God's way to God, not our way to God, which is a dead end. Our way to God is like me standing at the, the White House demanding to see the president. Dream on. But here, a way has been opened. So in light of this, in light of what Jesus has done, in light of this huge access we have, we have the, the three let us phrases. So that's the fact. God has opened a way. Therefore, in light of that, let us, let us, let us do what? Verse 22, the first one is, let us draw near to God. So it's pretty simple. The way's open, so let's go. Get in there. Don't just stand outside and be like, wow, isn't that awesome? People can get to God now. Like, get to God. Go lay hold of God through Jesus Christ. Draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. I found this interesting that if you uh, go to Hebrews chapter 4, you find the same idea. You find another let us, and it's the same idea of drawing near to God. Let us. Hebrews 4.16, last verse of chapter 4. Where it says, then, or, let us then approach the throne of grace, which is what? The Ark of the Covenant. So here's the same imagery. We're going in to the holy place, most holy place. Let us approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we, we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in the time of need. So that mercy and grace that the high priest in the Old Testament could access one day, once a year, we can access anytime, 24-7, to find mercy and grace to help us. It's, it's ridiculous, this promise. But isn't it interesting? If chapters 5 through 10 lay out what Jesus did as our sacrifice and high priest, then 5 through 10 is bookended on either side with the command, let us go in. So right before 5 through 10, you have chapter 4, verse 16 saying, let's approach. And then right after chapters 5 through 10, right after it's all concluded, you have... Going back to chapter 10, verse 19, 22, let's draw near. So, so the appropriate response to the fact that Jesus Christ has made a way for us is to draw near to God, to take advantage of it, and to press in closer to God. And the reason we can draw near to God is because Jesus has died again to cleanse us and forgive us our sins. And going back to Hebrews 10, back to our main text, verse 22, that's the whole thing about having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us. You know, we've been sprinkled with the blood of the sacrifice so that we're clean. And we've had our bodies washed with pure water. You know, the priests in the Old Testament would do these ritual washings to symbolize that they were ceremonially pure. Except for us, it's not just a ceremony. Christ really has forgiven us. Christ really has expunged our record. He really has made us clean so that we can go into the presence of God through the blood of Jesus. 
you know, again, it'd be like coming up to the gate of the White House and being like, let me in. And, you know, they're like, uh, look at your record here. You're not getting in to see the president. Then all of a sudden, imagine all the Secret Service guys being like, what, what? The eagle is flying or, you know, whatever this code is. Like, what, what? You know, and, and then they're like, you know, looking around. And out of, imagine out of the White House comes the president. And he walks right up to the gate and he's like, hey, let this guy in. And all the Secret Service guys are like, I don't think that's a good idea, sir. I mean, look at his record. This is bad. Let him in. Whatever the problem is, I pardon it. This one has full access. Come in. Our, our record has been cleaned. We've been accepted and forgiven because of what God has done for us. There's no one here who can make their own way to God. But God has made a way to God that is clear, and it's a clear path. There's nothing we do. There's no class we could have you take here at this church, no ritual you can do. There's no set of New Year's resolutions that we can do that would get us in. God has to open the gate for us. And he did it at the cost of his own son and the shedding of Jesus' blood and his resurrection. It's awesome. And so we can draw close. I was reading a, uh, uh, an autobiographical, I guess you call it an essay, uh, entitled, uh, this guy's story, it's entitled, From French Atheist to Biblical Scholar. It's a great little essay. I posted it on my Facebook page so you guys can find it there if you want. A great story. But it's this guy's kind of spiritual journey of how he was raised. Uh, he's a French citizen and how he was raised an atheist and thought theism was ridiculous and just lived whatever he wanted to do because, you know, morality is kind of an artificial construct. And so he lived his life he wanted the way he wanted to live it. And then uh, something happened. He met some Christians, and he started talking to them. One of them was a girl he was interested in, which always helps. And so he, uh, he, you know, he started you know, pursuing this girl, but he started talking about faith with her and others. And he actually met real Christians, not just kind of the straw men version in his own mind. And he's like, oh, wow, they, you know, I, don't, I don't believe what they believe, but you know, there is a logical internal consistency to what they believe. And so he started researching it more and started reading some books and even started reading the Bible. And that raised more questions. So he did something he never thought he would do. He went to a church and he sat with the pastor and asked the pastor questions and, and you know, was trying to just ply him with, with all of his tough questions and the pastor had some good answers. And so this guy's thinking and he's, his mind is changing and he's being open to different ideas. But he says in, in, this, in the essay, he goes, you know, there was one thing that had me stuck. I just still didn't understand why Jesus had to die. And it was a question he was stuck with. Why did Jesus have to die? I mean, Jesus has kind of a, a role model of a, of a good life. I get that. But why does he have to die? Because you know, if you, if you reach, research Christianity, at the center of the whole thing, the central pole holding the thing up is a cross. And you've got to figure that out. Like, why is that cross there? Why do you keep singing about it and talking about it? Why does the writer of Hebrews spend ten, you know, five chapters talking about it? And, and so he was wrestling with that, and, and, uh, and then he said, one day God answered my question. But God didn't answer with a voice. There wasn't a shining light and a you know, voice from heaven. He says, the way God answered my question was, God reawakened my conscience. One day my conscience came back to life. In all of the, the way I'd been living all those years, I suddenly was awakened to see I've been a really selfish, wicked person who's hurt a lot of people and lived really poorly. 
And, and in fact, there was something that he had done very recently that he calls particularly wicked. It must have been bad. He doesn't even say what it is in the article. But uh, it just so happened, providentially, that he had done this, and then his conscience came on, and then it all made sense. He says, I know now why Jesus had to die. He had to die for me because this is the kind of person I am. If there is a God, I am utterly disqualified from drawing close to that God. And it suddenly became clear to him, Jesus died because if he didn't die, if he wasn't my substitute sacrifice to pay the penalty for my sin, I can't have access to God. And so his heart changed. And it went from just being an intellectual uh, investigation of Christianity to a changed heart, to a man who was saying not just, I get it, but saying, I need it. I need it. And so he went from there to being a biblical scholar. It's a great story, really, really interesting. But you know, it's the story of every Christian, even if you weren't born in France, even if you're not a biblical scholar today. That's the story of every Christian coming to realize I need more than just some kind of spiritual role model, I need a Savior. And so, let us draw near to God. I I don't know where you're at. I don't know your story. But I know that God knows it and God has made a way. And no matter what's on that computer screen that the Secret Service or the angels or whoever would look at, I know that Christ has died for sinners. The way is open through Christ. So, draw near to God. Lay hold of Jesus. Put your faith in Him. But let me just point out one other thing before we move on to the next let us. And that is, just the observation that the let us here, see verse 22, let us draw near to God. It was written originally not to French atheists. This was written to Christians. So yeah, it's true. French atheists can come to God through this, through Christ. That's how we all start. But even as Christians, this is a command to us to draw near to God. See, I I suspect that uh, for those of you who are Christians here, those of you who heard lots of sermons in your lives, those of you who have been to lots of good Sunday school classes in your lives, you probably are familiar with everything I've been saying. You're like, yeah, yeah, that's right, Jesus died for me, this is the gospel. Some of you kids here, some of you children here, you know, you've been in Sunday school and youth group long enough, and, and you've heard this, you already know these things. You're like, yeah, yeah, Jesus died for me. That's how you get to God. You can't save yourself. It's through God's gift of grace. And you you know all these things, and and that's good. I'm glad you know them, but the question isn't, do you know it? The question is, are you drawing close? Because I think it's possible to have all the theological doctrine right, but to not be living in our experience week by week a close fellowship with the Lord. Let me just think about your last week. I'll think about my last week. Was I living in fellowship with God? Did I ever open up His Word so He could talk to me? Did I spend any time in prayer talking to Him? Where was my heart this week? Was my heart yearning after the things of God, or was my heart drawing close to other things? Uh, Where was my obedience this week? Was I living in harmony with God's will, or was I not? You know, we can draw close to God. Or we can say that we believe it, but not actually experience it. And I think this is a constant challenge for us as Christians to not just believe in a personal relationship with Jesus, but to experience, experience a personal relationship with Jesus. Some of us have a relationship with Jesus, but it's dysfunctional. And not his fault. (laughs) You know, I have a relationship with him. You talk to him, not much. You think about him, not a whole lot. 
Do you obey him? Mm, you know, like, what kind of relationship is it? It's a dysfunctional relationship. So I'm not, it's not only an invitation to have a relationship with Christ, but to experience it. This is written to Christians. Let us draw near. But let's do it with confidence and faith because we know that the way is open. So just encouraging you to, to draw near to God this year. Again, starting off the year here, reemphasizing this theme because we really need it. I, I don't know what other New Year's resolutions you've made, but this would be a good one. I want to draw close to God this year. Maybe to learn how to pray. Maybe you want to go to, uh, you know, I, I've just sat in a little bit on Godwin's new Sunday school class uh, on the Psalms, which is the, the Old Testament and the church's first prayer book and hymn book teaching us how to pray. Uh, there's a book some of us are reading. I, I brought a copy in just to show you guys. It's called uh, Paul Miller, A Praying Life. Some of us are reading this. It's a great book on prayer. Super clear, super readable. This book is not above anyone's head, okay? You, you will not, this won't be like, you know, some theological tome. This is a really simple, clear book just on how to pray. And, and basically the, the whole point of the book is prayer is about a relationship with God. It's not a to-do list. It's not a checklist. It's not a duty or an obligation. It is a relationship with God. And so whatever it is this year, I would encourage you to draw closer to the Lord. And then look at the next let us, verse 23. Let us not only draw near to God, but verse 23, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. So I'm, I'm drawing near, and I'm also holding fast, right? I've got a grip on something, on this hope that I have. It, it made me think of a, a time in my, uh, a certain story, kind of, I don't know why I thought of this, but that's how my mind works. I was thinking about a time I was helping my father-in-law uh, with some tree work, uh, neither of us being professional tree people, but that doesn't stop us in a chainsaw. So anyway, there was this oak tree with a limb that he wanted to make fall the right way, and it was kind of putting... So what he did was he tied a rope around the limb somehow, and then he had me on the ground, and I was supposed to pull on the limb so that when he cut it, I would pull it the right way. And I was like, wow, you know, i got to get a good grip here. So I took the rope, and I, like, wrapped my arm around it like this. So I'm like, i got a good grip on this thing, you know? And so, you know, he finally cut it, and I'm pulling on it. But as you know, oak limbs tend to go where they want to go. And, and all of a sudden, I was like, you know, slingshotted. Uh, you, know, you know when people walk on the moon and those things, and they're like, boing. It's, it's kind of fun in retrospect. <laughs> Fortunately, nothing was dislocated or, you know, I wasn't maimed in any way. But that's the idea here. Hold fast. Wrap this around your arm. Lash yourself to this. What? The hope we profess for he who's promised is faithful. So what's the hope? What is it I'm supposed to be holding fast to? Just hope? No, no. There's a specific promise I'm holding fast to. And it's told to us down in verse 35, if you look at the end of the chapter. He says, so don't throw away your confidence. Don't throw away your hope. Don't throw, throw away this, this promise we have. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere, verse 36, so that when you've done the will of God, you'll receive what he has promised. Okay, so what's this hope? What's the promise? Verse 37, for in just a little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. Our hope is that the same Jesus who died as our sacrifice, the same Jesus who rose as our high priest and went to heaven is the same Jesus who is coming back to take us. Or to put it another way, 
Someday, we will see Him face to face. Someday, we will be in His presence. Someday, this, this movement to have a relationship with Him and to draw close to Him will reach its full experience. Someday, we will be in the presence of God. This idea of drawing close to God is not just kind of a clever church slogan for a year. This is the whole trajectory of the Christian life. This is why we came to faith, so that we could know the Lord and and live with Him. And that's what our future is. You you know, you look at the end of the book of Revelation, the last book of the Bible, very last chapters, after the judgment day and all that, and you finally have us in the new creation. And then this new, the city comes down out of heaven. You guys remember what it's called? The New Jerusalem. It's this big golden city. It's awesome. It's like so epic. It's incredible. And it's coming down out of heaven. And you guys remember the dimensions of that city? It's ridiculously huge, you know, and it's like 144,000 stadia long. And, but do you remember the shape of the city that comes out of heaven? It's a cube. It's a golden cube. It's the holy of holies, you know? And, and whether or not it's a literal big golden city or not, I could really care less because I just want to be there because it's the dwelling of God. We're actually going to be with God forever in the Holy of Holies, whatever the new creation is like, and who knows? We'll we wait and see. We're going to be with Him in His presence. And if you go look at Revelation, that's the emphasis of that section is we're going to be with God. So this hope we hold on to, this lashing ourselves to this hope that Christ is coming back, is directly tied to drawing near we want to draw near to Him now in this life because that's where we're going. And so as, as we feel the pull to draw away from God, this hope that we've lashed ourselves to just keeps yanking us forward and yanking us closer to Him. So keep drawing near to God. Keep holding on to the hope of Christ's return. Keep pushing forward and waiting for that day when though we know now in part, then we shall know in full. Then we shall know Him even as we are known by Him. Let's keep pushing forward to that day. And then the last let us, and we close with this one, verse 24. We shift focus here from our driving toward the Lord to what we need to do to help each other get to the Lord. There's sort of a shift here to the community of Christians around us. Look at verse 24. Here's the third one. Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. So it's not just me and my personal relationship with Jesus and trying to get better with Him, but, but the way God has designed this is that my relationship with Jesus is, inter, is, is tied together with other believers' relationship with Jesus, and that part of me following Jesus is helping you follow Jesus. So, and so suddenly we have to draw closer to each other if we're going to draw closer to the Lord. We need to help each other and encourage each other and spur one another on. In fact, look, look at verse 24 again. It's not just let us spur one another on, but I like verse 24. Let us consider how we can spur one another on. So there's this kind of like scheming. Hmm. How can I help you follow Jesus? And you're looking at me going like, how can we help Jeremy follow Jesus? That's going to take a lot. How are we going to do that? You know, it's, it's like moms. You know, moms are always scheming about their kids. How can I get them to make their bets? How can I, you know, moms are always just you know, trying to figure out how to like play head games with their kids to get them to do what they want. Or, or, you know, managers are always trying to figure out how to motivate employees and get them on track. How, how do I do this? How do I 
spur you on toward love and good deeds. And so that, that's part of what the church is, is we're trying to you know, f- figure out how to, how to help each other keep making that progress in the faith. Um, so I, I, you know what, I thought, I'm going to do this. I'm going to sit around and think, and I was considering how to do it. And, and I thought, you know, you know something preachers do that I haven't done in a long time? Preachers do acrostics. You know, good old acrostic. And I, like, I haven't done an acrostic in a while. I feel like I'm shirking my duty as a preacher for not coming up with some clever acrostic. And I thought, you know, if it's clever enough, I could make a book out of this. So, just kidding. So anyway, so, so I took the word, this is so awesome. I took the word spur and I turned it into an acrostic. I want to consider how to spur you on. So S. S stands for Speak. Speak to each other. One of the great ways you can spur each other on is just say encouraging, spurring words to each other. You know, if if you see people growing in their faith, call it out and be like, you know, I just want to encourage you. I I noticed you were doing this. I know you weren't doing it for people to notice, but I saw that, and I just see God's work in your life. You know, I've known you for five years, and can I just encourage you? You've really grown in your faith a lot. Sometimes we we need people to speak to us, uh, you know, a little more kind of exhortatively, like... Hey, I, I love you, but I'm a little worried about you getting off track, you know? Over the years here as a pastor, I've had people pull me aside and exhort me at different times. I'll be honest, I don't like it. <laughs> I, I, I'm pretty good at keeping a poker face, but inside I'm just like, what? <laughs> but then something happens. I usually go home, and after the next couple days, you know, I'm like, yeah, well, maybe... And I asked my wife, you wouldn't believe what so-and-so said to me. What do you think? And she's like, you know, hmm. You know, and then I'm like, oh, maybe there is something to this. <laughs> and so I usually don't like being confronted about areas in my life where I'm clearly not following as well as I should. I found over time, in almost every case, there's usually a good point and a good kernel of truth. And I've grown as I've listened to others speak exhortation to me as well as speak encouragement to me. So we need to speak to each other. We need to pray for each other. That's the P. Pray for each other. Uh, We need to pray each other forward in the faith. We we need to pray for each other and not just say, hey, I'll pray for you. Because you won't. Right? Maybe. But if you do, it's kind of... I mean, it's really cool if you do, but usually you won't. So so we need to pray for each other. You'll pray for each other right then. If some guy's talking to you or some lady's sharing something with you, be like can I just pray for you right now? You're like, right here in Stop and Shop? Yeah, let's do it. And just put your hand on their shoulder and pray for them real quick. Or, or if you're, you know, in a, a text thing and someone's sharing something with you, just text a prayer back. I've done this sometimes. I've, I've just written a prayer and sent it, like, in an email or something. And it's cool. People just, you know, you're praying right there through words. God hears, he can read, and he sees the prayer. He knows what you're saying. Or you're on the phone, like, wow, that's really tough. Can I pray for you on the phone right now? Let's be praying for each other. That spurs us on in our faith. Uh, The men's retreat, again, this weekend was really, really awesome. One of the things we did at the men's retreat uh, that was cool this year was we had a goal of making sure that everyone in the whole retreat got prayed for by some other person. And so the way they, they tracked this was you had a name tag, and if someone prayed for you, you put a sticker on your name tag, so you'd be like, okay, that guy got prayed for. Oh, that guy didn't get prayed for. I, hey, how can I pray for you? And so by the end of the retreat, pretty much everyone had a, a sticker. It was, you know, it was cool, but it was like everyone's being prayed for by someone else. And it was so uh, encouraging 
to be there throughout the whole weekend in the dining hall or at a, an event or you know, playing board games. And, and you look around, and, and there across the room is, is just a couple guys in the corner with their eyes closed praying for each other. Or, or you know, see someone at the dining hall, and someone grabs someone at the dining hall, and they're praying for each other. I was like, ah, oh, I wish we could do this all the time. We can. We need to pray for each other. And then the you. Okay, so I have the you is terrible. I... Fortunately, some people were giving me ideas after the first service. They're like, yeah, that was bad. Here's some other ideas. So let me just, it's like, the basic idea behind the you, the idea is, is, is that I need to see you walking with the Lord so that I can be encouraged. One of the things that encourages me is, is watching other people draw close to God, and I'm like, yeah, look at that person going for it. I'm going to live for Christ too. So the you is, is just you, like text speak. You. I need you. And that means we have to open our lives to each other. It means we have to share our lives with each other and our struggles and our victories. And, and as I hear about how you're pursuing the Lord, that inspires me. I mean, haven't you had some people in your Christian life over the years who you look to and that you're just thinking of that person and their life and their example spurs you on? It's you. We need each other to spur each other on. And then the R is respond to each other's needs. Little practical things, little things you can do. Sometimes, you know, I'm, I'm so just overwhelmed with the junk of life that I just need someone to, like, listen to me or I need someone to give me a ride or I need someone to help me with a practical thing. I remember a story of a, a, a person who was um, in our church who was, his spouse was really sick. It was just a really hard time. And so some people from the church just went over to their house and they didn't know what to do, so they just washed the windows. And, like, how much that encouraged that family just to have someone wash their windows, you know? It wasn't some big spiritual speech, but it's like, wow, that, that really, because, you know, what's more dis- depressing than having to think about having to wash your windows? I mean, that's, that's tough work. And so it was a cool thing. It's just a responding to a little, little acts of service to each other really do help, and they keep us going in our faith. So we need to speak and pray, and we need to see each other. I need to see you, and you need to see me, and in R, we need to, to respond to each other's needs. And so all of that assumes, verse 25, which is, let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as we see the day approaching. Verse 24 doesn't work if we never spend time together. We can't give up meeting together. Some of your old uh, Bibles say, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves. I love that translation too. That a basic discipline of the Christian life is meeting regularly as a church. If you don't meet with other Christians as a church, you won't be able to grow the way God wants you to grow as a Christian. It's as basic as reading your Bible and praying. The Christian life is not just me and my private relationship with Jesus. It is a team effort. It is a community effort. We were never meant to follow Jesus, Jack Bauer, Lone Wolf, just me. We were meant to follow him together as a body. And we need each other. I need you and you need me. And so we can't we can't forsake the assembling together of ourselves. Uh, one of the most basic disciplines of the Christian faith is just showing up and being with each other. And so that means when I come to church, I'm not just coming to hear a sermon. Hopefully we're hearing good biblical preaching. And I'm not just coming to sing music, hopefully sung the songs that I like and the way I like them. And, and I'm not just coming to church to, uh, to, to partake in a good program that's being run by the church. But when I'm coming to church, one of my fundamental things is I'm coming to the family of God 
And I'm praying that God's going to show me today how I can spur someone else on. And I'm going to be open today that God may spur me on. And so it's not just a get in, get what you need, get out. But, but it, it takes a little time of assembling and spending time talking to each other. That's why we have these growth groups. Because sometimes Sunday morning's crazy, so, so it's you know, busy or whatever. But a growth group, you get together for a couple hours during the week. And I would encourage you to join a growth group. There's still time to get in on those. This, uh, for, for the next half of the year, would love you to join a growth group and just get to know other Christians and not forsake the assembling and the getting together of the body. Because I'll tell you what, who else is going to help you draw close to Jesus? What TV shows are you watching now that you go away regularly spurred on closer to Jesus? You know, I, I watch my TV shows too, but they don't, they don't spur me to Jesus. What, uh, you, you know, what legislation is going to be passed that's going to spur you closer to Jesus? What, um, you know, the kids at school, those of you guys in school, who are the kids at school who are really encouraging you every week to follow Christ? You know, who, who here is part of their job evaluation has their boss being like, let's talk about your spiritual life. <laughs> it's like, not happening. They can't, you know, ah, that never happens. My own heart is pulling me away from Christ. The the devil is pushing me away from Christ. I've got nothing drawing me close except the power of God's hand through his word and through his people encouraging me and pulling me along. And so we're climbing, we're scaling the cliffs. We don't want to fall. And so we need to keep helping each other and encouraging each other and pulling each other up and, you know, tying each other off and lifting each other as a, a whole army climbing the cliffs heading closer and closer to the Lord. I don't know how people outside of our church think of our church, if they even know us or care at all. You know, how do they think of us? Are, are we the church that build a new building? Are we the church where they preach long sermons? <laughs> are they the church where, you know, uh, I, I don't know how people think of our church, but wouldn't it be cool if, if people thought of our church and said, you know, I don't know what's going on in there, but the people I know in that church, they seem to really love each other, and they seem to really know God. And I don't know what it is, but it seems real. They seem to be people who know the Lord and know God. May God help us this year to press on. And whatever other resolutions we've made for the new year, may we make it our business to be a people who loves God and loves one another so that the gospel might shine through us. Let's pray. Oh, Lord Jesus Christ, we want to give you all the glory and praise for making access for us to the Father. And now, Lord, I pray, help us to draw close to you. Lord, help us not just to believe in the access, but to access the access. God, I pray that you would help us to hold fast to the hope. I pray, Lord, for anyone here today who just has lost all hope, that they would lash themselves to the one promise that won't fail, which is that Jesus is coming again. So many broken promises in our lives, but this one is faithful. And God, I pray that you would help us as a body to keep assembling together, to keep drawing close to each other, not just for our own spiritual feeding, but that you might use us as conduits of encouragement and spurring toward one another. Help us to really love each other, Lord. We have a ways to go in all this. 
And it will never really be perfected until we finally get to the finish line. But until then, Lord, help us to keep pressing closer to you, closer to one another for the sake of the gospel. And I pray this in Christ's name. Amen.